I was talking to an older relative who said they were raised in an age where they were told to always trust the scientists and pointed out a number of places where there were things they deeply regretted that they had followed because we later found out they were wrong. This is 100% true. Let me explain the state of science then versus the state of science now. Science at the moment has its own problems, but not in the ways you most often think. But scientists are also tackling these problems. To understand how they're doing this, however, requires having to go about these problems from a different angle than you probably learned to do through trial and error of time. Science saw all the same problems most people did at the time, and they changed themselves in fundamental ways to mostly overcome them. In the 1950s, where they were removing people with mental disabilities and locking them away and treated vestigial organs as things that needed to be removed preemptively, and births were much more forced and treated as an industrial process, science was very one-sided and authoritarian. This period was called the modernist era, the belief that we had pretty much figured out most of science, so now just blindly believe it and trust whatever white male authority figure with a lab coat told you. The modernist era was a mostly post-eugenics period, though there was still quite a bit of bleed over, and the change away from that period was much slower than it should have been. Add to this, the scientists at the time just had to go to Congress and say, Soviet Union, and they could get a large number of grants, especially for military purposes. Scientists never had to explain themselves or make their case to the public, creating an ivory tower elitist approach. They never anticipated this would make the voters not actually want to give them more money down the line. Around this time, there were a lot of internal critics of science. For one thing, there was little diversity or points of view that might catch bias. For another thing at the time, data processing and analysis were incredibly primitive, making it very easy to make mistakes and make assertions out of things that there was no good reason to do so. Lastly, people didn't rerun pretty much any experiment to test and see if the study was an anomaly or a repeatable behavior. Nor did they understand the use of double-blinded testing and other techniques to prevent biases from getting in the way. Add the profit motive for medicine, and you had a science that was very flawed, it ignored the issues and plights of women, disabled, and minorities, and got even more flawed as it trickled down to doctors who often themselves just knew rote memorization and not the full scientific process unless they were clinical research doctors, and of course, back then, very little research had these controls and checks in place, so clinical research doctors at the time weren't much better, but at least they had a grasp of what they were doing and how trends changed with new data as opposed to doctors who were even slower to change. All of these factors along with a profit motive in medicine is why science was so messed up in the 50s. Pollution was rampant because they only focused on making new stuff, not focusing on protecting what we had. The number of toxic dump sites that are still being cleaned up as a Superfund site are just staggering. They also focused less on keeping the body healthy and more on fixing the body. They had come out of the Depression and World War II and the Korean War and starvation and malnutrition were a serious issue. So they spent most of their diet research focusing on shelf-stable long-term food items for the military. In fact, to this day, the most research spending on food and nutrition is being done by the U.S. military, which impacts our food further down the ladder into the civilian world. They were basically picking the low-hanging fruit and tackling the most urgent problems, but then we remained stuck in that survivalist mindset instead of a thriving long-life mindset. Enter the postmodernist era of science. People in science saw all these problems and began rejecting the narrow-minded single demographic viewpoint of the modernist perspective. 
They began calling for double-blinded studies, better research, and creating controls to prevent the plethora of natural ingrained biases psychology was discovering, and at the time was the only branch to use them until others pushed for it. They began looking at things through different cultural lenses beyond their own experiences, though at the time also still through a white male perspective. No one even bothered to look through the lens of someone who had mental disabilities because they were obviously broken and useless, nor did they think about the emotional and long-term psychological impacts and trauma of taking a disabled child away from the parents and locking them away. Short-term utilitarianism was the only thing science was good for. The more ordered society made for better people, not realizing that a happier society created more robust, functional, and creative society. Hippies especially grabbed onto this postmodernist thinking, which is why they embraced the drug culture. This is why, during some parts of the postmodernist period, people seemed to reach the conclusion that everyone's reality and worldview was equally valid, and there was a big rejection of science, especially on the left, because of the industrialization profits over physical and mental well-being, and environmental impacts on the human species as a whole. This authoritarian viewpoint hit a serious issue in the 70s when the fat versus sugar fight was happening, and a charismatic TV scientist made everyone think sugar was healthy and fat made you fat, when the opposite was true for most people. There were very strong studies that showed the opposite, but they got drowned out and Congress decided to change up the food pyramid to reduce fat, and reduced fat foods had extra sugar added, leading to increased obesity. When politics and science fight it out, politics usually wins for a long time because it makes the rich richer. And rich companies know how to spin anything using PR and misinformation, from lead to sugar to smoking to greenhouse gases. To this day, postmodernist now sadly means everyone's opinions and beliefs are equally valid no matter how crazy or destructive they actually were to a person or the people around them. Science often goes through these cycles. After the Enlightenment came the Romantic Era where everything was about feelings and raw emotions and disdain for the callous robotic intellectual who would destroy life and emotion in a ravenous pursuit of knowledge. After the 70s, postmodernism was also becoming rejected as it went so far in the other direction that some science was becoming completely unusable. Sadly, abused postmodernism still plagued the scientific understanding of the general population to this very day. Scientists began realizing that white men translating the viewpoints of other people was still a serious issue and a limitation, and there was a very slow progress to put people of different experiences and backgrounds into the sciences to be advocates. Multiple studies have found that the more diverse in background, ethnicity, economic backgrounds, and nation of origin a study has, the more robust, accurate, novel, and useful the study is, as there are many more explanations discussed and many more people to spot holes in the thinking of an idea created by the group with only one point of view. Science as it is today is not the narrow authoritarian isolated field of elitist white men it once was. It is a massive global network of minds trained and experienced to be the best in their field, all watching to see if some bad science is making it through. If someone on a blog or a website is discussing a problem in science or medical practice and it's an actual issue, believe me, the field itself is going through a civil war on that issue to determine which way the science falls and will figure it out longer before the people on the internet will be capable of doing anything about it. Unless the majority of science is calling out for political help, such as on the issue of climate change or air and water pollution, or the lack of science funding for things like retesting, they don't need your help to change the system. They're letting the data speak for itself and working to change it. One of the biggest problems with pop science is that they often only know one side of the argument and state it as fact, which gets science nerds hyped up, 
but then they find out that it wasn't nearly as certain as they claimed it was, such as the altruistic effects of oxytocin, dubbed the love chemical, which we later discovered has a dark side of making you actually more racist or xenophobic, which abusive partners will often use to manipulate that emotion to turn everyone but the couple into the enemy, isolating the partner from friends and family, making it even harder to escape the abuse. Jared Diamond, the author of Guns, Germs, and Steel, has a bad habit of doing this. He will take a topic that is currently up for debate in the scientific community and state it as fact, only showing you the evidence from one side of the debate. The older his books get, the worse they age because of his one-sided level of certainty, and his books are still sometimes used in American colleges. American colleges are in this weird limbo, sadly. With states paying less and less in state tuition, they have essentially become for-profit businesses, and thanks to unchecked growth in costs and unregulated student loans, the admin makes heavy bank, but the instructors are overworked and underpaid, with teaching as their least important job and publishing and research as their most important job. It's why in college you need to learn to teach yourself, because often they are some of the worst at actually teaching. They're just good at their research. Textbooks are a racket and often will require teaching from inferior books because someone cut a deal somewhere with someone they knew. Many colleges should be doing the boring research, such as trying to retest published studies and seeing if they get the same results, but instead they have to chase the grant money by wowing the admin to give them the money they need. Because of this, up to 50% of studies in some fields can't be replicated. They aren't the most essential studies that could overturn the field, but if people are basing their assumptions and research on small bad studies, they can add up over time to wasting valuable research that could have been prevented if they had just been double-checked. These unchecked studies can also be used to sell things or ideas that are actually not useful and perhaps even harmful long-term. However, double-checking isn't glamorous, it's boring and thankless. No one gets a Nobel Prize for double-checking someone else's research. Heck, people have to literally have their funding tied to being a peer reviewer because no one wants to do it. They're busy working on their own research. It's why many believe that the Nobel Prize is outdated and in many ways holds back science. It's from the authoritarian model when competition and not collaboration made up the myths of the lone scientist, even though the unspoken lab techs, mostly women and minorities, did the bulk of the thankless, tedious work. Nobel Prize winners were good scientists, but there are tons of scientists just as good as they are that never are heard of thanks to mostly luck, as no one hears about the scientists who did boring work or who failed, even though the data from the failure is equally essential to science because we then know what isn't true, which is just as powerful. Rewarding outcomes instead of effort and process creates that authoritarian mindset in science. Journal publishing for the longest time was an elite but also expensive field where they would only publish papers with positive results because publishing negative ones was just as expensive. If a scientist or professor only got negative results, they would fail at their perceived job, so they often had to spin the data or just not publish the data that still would have been useful. The internet has opened up science publishing in the last decade so that this negative result data can be published and used by people who need it. The media is the worst offender by far in science reporting as they want certainty and sensationalism and they report with certainty on studies the scientists never said was remotely certain. They just said that more research was needed and here's a preliminary study we did to see if it's worth going into further research on. That's boring, so the media hypes things as healthy or unhealthy, creating diet or lifestyle fads that five years later fade because they were just a preliminary study that didn't pan out. I've wasted a lot of money on these kinds of new studies that turned out to have not held up on a larger scale. 
Pharma unfortunately has a massive profit motive, and will do whatever they can to expand that profit. Luckily, since the 90s, the science has been really solid, and what you are getting has been triple-checked by both science and the FDA to ensure it's the product they claim it is and does what it's claimed to do. Never mind that up until the 90s, they were doing everything they could to subvert the science. Sadly, then the legal and sales departments screw that integrity up. The legal side will do what is called patent trolling and just slightly modify the process so they can retain patents way longer than they should and jack up the prices instead of becoming a cheap generic. This causes medications that take dollars to make, like insulin, to cost $50 to $100, adding up to $1,000 a month, making people literally have to pay rent to live in their own bodies. The legal side also rules lawyered the heck out of OxyContin, claiming in trials that they had done that it was technically less addictive due to its time release factor. Because of that, they were able to change its scheduling, handing it out like candy and marketing it to doctors like crazy. However, if you crush it up, it's radically more addictive than pretty much any other opiate on the market, making the Sackler family the biggest and most successful drug dealers on the planet that killed, at the height of their success, 52,000 people a year, wiping out 20% of the rural workforce where it hit the worst, and making addicts out of people who never did drugs a day in their life because their doctors gave it to them for pain. They even successfully lobbied the Bush and McConnell government in the 2000s to prevent the DEA from enforcing drug oversight of it, even though they were dumping ridiculous amounts of these pills into towns that was way higher than the amount that they should ever have been used in the town's population, in numbers that would have made them all junkies if not overdose victims if they actually ingested all of these pills. And the marketing side of pharma used essentially ex-cheerleaders to market drugs to doctors who don't have the time or energy to keep up on all the latest drugs and would bring in lavish lunches, free high-quality branded merch, and invite doctors on paid cruises for drugs that a cheaper generic could have probably treated just as well if not better. It enforced positive connotations of the drug in the doctor's minds so they would prescribe them more than generic drugs. Drugs passed by the FDA have to be at least as effective as the drugs currently on the market, but not necessarily more effective than a cheaper generic. Often these salespersons were also not even trained at all in pharmaceuticals and couldn't give safe correct dosages and would make claims about using it for other diseases with at best shaky evidence. They have since cracked down on requirements for someone to be a pharma sales rep, but not enough. And lastly, doctors. Doctors, quite rightly, have made many skeptical of science, but for all the wrong reasons, you'd think. Doctors are the average person's only point of contact with a field of science and medicine, just like how the weather reporter is the average person's only contact with meteorology, and many have often overstepped their level of competence and made bold claims about climate change because they're the only people with authority the average person sees. Doctors collectively have done a great job of making the average person not trust science, especially when they speak with authority on things science never actually said, or is in a state of flux or up for debate still, and many are doing their best to fix that. Doctors are not scientists, they're super techs, except for clinical research physicians. Scientists discover facts, engineers use that data to turn inventions into the most efficient versions of themselves, inventors take existing tech and recombine it, and technicians take that engineered invention and facts and make it useful to the public. Medical doctors are the most educated techs out there. They stuff their heads full of facts, but way more often than we'd like, they also don't really understand the scientific process or why these facts are true. American doctors are super techs who are overworked and have a profit motive. 
which is why they tell you to always get a second opinion, or at least if your insurance allows it. I had a coworker who went to a doctor who spouted the Bill Gates COVID microchip conspiracy theory. Scientists not only have a built-in second opinion, but a third and a fourth preliminary opinion before publishing and the entire field checking their work. Well, checking your work if your research claims to be groundbreaking, sadly not if it's considered boring because there is nowhere near enough money for that. They are also less overworked and have no real profit motive if they don't have conflicts of interest in funding, which many industries fund and then only publish results they want to hear. When a doctor tells you something, research it. Find out what the science says. They may have overlooked something because they were overworked, may have had a financial incentive to push a treatment you didn't need, or may plain just not know how to distinguish science from pseudoscience. Sadly, they are the face of science to most people, and if doctors do or say something, then people treat it as gospel truth of science. If doctors mess up or a bad practice exists in medicine, people lose faith in all science because this collection of super techs are misusing the data they made. When a doctor tells you something, dig into the actual science on it. They could be wrong, conning you, or exhausted. Sadly, people seem to know that this is the case, even if they don't know the full details of why. And if you can't trust doctors, you can't trust science at all. And dip into the pseudoscience, which has a powerful money-making industry with no regulation. Most doctors are amazing people, but they are fallible human super techs with way less double or triple checks that science has. Trust the science, learn from your doctors, then research and double check with actual science, or you could end up getting conned by other ideas, by pseudoscientists, losing lots of money or even years of your life just because you don't trust science thanks to your bad but misunderstood experiences with your doctors. Add to this an extra layer of protection in science that has been created in the past 70 years to self-police in independent ways. Ethics. Nearly every branch of science has a sub-branch of ethics when it comes to your field. In the past, if you dug something up or plundered a burial site in archaeology, it was yours. Now you have to go through and work with local tribes and anything you find has to go to them while you collect the historical and locational context that they have full access to. While not perfect, it still adds an extra layer to prevent sins of the past done in the name of science. Even more important is the field of bioethics, which, while in place since probably the 80s to prevent animal abuse, cruel treatment, and use of medical data without consent, it really went into overdrive when CRISPR-Cas9, the gene editing tool, was discovered. They are carefully working to prevent things like designer babies or germ cell editing, and only using the process to edit DNA in the human body for consenting individuals to correct genetic errors such as genetic forms of blindness that has been cured with gene editing in children and adults, and they are building on these discoveries. Sadly, other nations do not have the same controls on their science, and developing nations will probably build businesses out of this shady, unethical abuse of the groundbreaking research that will better humanity in the long run. This evolution is the very reason there is a claim that science is a social construct. The scientific method is not a social construct, but the process has politics in it and has self-corrected over time based on other factors from fields outside of the core field, such as how ethics and biology merge to create bioethics, changing much of the process and how we go about doing the science and how that converts into commercial and medical practice. That is why I can now say, trust the science, and that I trust science. Not because they're perfect, but because they are A, already seeing and looking at the problems in the process 
long before the rest of us, and B, are the only ones with the know-how to correct the problem. So if the field is calling for public help, such as citizen science, or a need for political pressure, such as in climate change, or, or air and water pollution, things that actually have been shown scientifically to cause or at least exacerbate all the symptoms claimed about vaccines by anti-vaxxers, or more funding to make them even more accurate, that's where you can help out, not for hearing a lone voice raising the alarms on a blog. You are going to be no real help to anyone, and they are almost certainly trying to sell you on something. Science doesn't know everything, but pseudoscience doesn't know anything, as it's missing all the controls and checks that make modern science the top monopoly on getting as close to the truth as humanly possible. Pseudoscience is so much closer to the science of the 1950s, or even 1850s, than what science has evolved into, with a lot of work on the inside and pretty much no help from the outside average person who heard about a few problems in the field from a lone scientist who instead of putting up with the data, or shutting up, instead sold a product or a book using the cry of science is being mean to me, like Andrew Wakefield, who had acquired the patent to a single-dose measles vaccine, and to get people to switch to it, began posting really bad research claiming that MMR vaccines had links to autism using very unethical methods of data collection, including using abusive and invasive treatments on children for no real benefit other than to promote his research, and fudge the data to make it look like there was a link, as well as using blood samples of local kids as a control with no paper trail, and when the British Health Service tried to give him money to run actual ethical science on it, he realized that, nah, he was making too much money from his newly formed online anti-vax movement slash treatment slash book sales, and soon began denigrating all vaccines, which others quickly piggybacked off of, to make money spreading the non-existent science further, which the British news media fell down on the job, and he played them like a fiddle, and they helped spread his press conference, with his fake new disease he dubbed Leaky Gut Syndrome, which then very well, meaning scared mothers, spread even further as duped true believers. He of course then had his doctorate stripped, raising his street cred even further with the general public who believed him because obviously the corrupt scientists were trying to cover up the truth and were trying to make people even sicker for... Profits? The longer the chain of production, the more credible whistleblowers will come out without personal financial stakes and call for changes, which is why the longer the chain, there is also more likely you can trust the results. Trust the science, but do question the doctors, the pop scientists, the drug makers, the profit motive, the politics, the ignored data, and especially the news. And go to the actual science if you actually have the skills to interpret what it's saying to fact check them because they are how science is applied and reported and science often does get mistranslated either on purpose or on accident which just makes people way less likely to do what they must to get closer to the truth and that is to trust the science.